0: Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Good morning, Soulless Church. We're in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning and just this uh, moment we have here. We're so thankful for this time. Uh, to be together, to be in your presence, and to be in your word. And we just invite you to be here, God, with us, for us to hear you, sense your presence, and for us to, to experience what you so faithfully do each time we gather before you, which is this experience of you speaking right into where we're at and working on our lives. God, we're, we're here before you as those that need work. None of us are finished products, and so we just invite your Holy Spirit to be here today. Meet us where we are, and we pray you'd give us exactly what we need, and we ask you to speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Good. Good to see you all. If you're wondering if the men of solace wear these dapper golf polos every Sunday and always look this good, no, we don't. Now, when I was entering my 30s, did I expect at 34 to be going full dad mode on a Sunday morning with an Under Armour golf polo and preaching with it? I did not. I did not. Did Brittany, uh, how do we say, approve this fashion decision this morning? She did not. She did not either. Nonetheless, here we are. Uh, Super excited for what we got going on this weekend. As Kyle mentioned, a lot of cool stuff happening in and through our church between the FAU outreach yesterday and our men's golf event this afternoon, uh, we said in the email, it's going to be a strong time of community and humility, a little bit of both of that. And so we're, we're going to have a blast. But uh, my name's Andrew. I want to welcome you uh, to Solus. I get the joy and honor to serve as the pastor here at Solus. And as Kyle mentioned, we are taking a short break from a study, a series that we've been doing in the Gospel of Mark to do what we're calling a, a, a simple or a quick vision interlude. So uh, when, first of all, interlude, let's talk about that part. That's kind of the intermission period between two main uh, acts, right? And so in the Gospel of Mark, we just finished chapter 10. Now chapter 10 of Mark, one through 10, is um, the account of the three years of Jesus's ministry, mostly up in Galilee. When you get into chapter 11, which is what we will start in September, on through chapter 16, you go from 1 through 10 is 3 years, and then 11 through 16 is 7 days. So we're going to be spending 3 months or so, or maybe a month or two, I don't know, we'll see, studying 7 days in the life of Jesus. And um, they are 7 days worth studying. Some significant stuff happens in those 7 days, uh, like Jesus laying down his life for the sins of humanity, and better yet, rising from the grave. And so uh, we're going to get back into that in September. And so here we are kind of midway interlude between that. And as Kyle mentioned, um, we want to take some time to offer some clarity in regards to the mission and pillars of our church. This is something we do probably once a year where we sort of circle the wagons and we stop and we ask some really important questions, questions that church people should ask more often, like, what are we doing here? Like, literally, what are we doing here in this middle school right now? What are we doing here? Like, literally, it's an important question to ask. We don't want to be on autopilot and just kind of doing without thinking or even worse, doing without seeing with vision as to why we're here and why this is um, significant. And so the goal of this series, I think, is twofold. First, it's to bring some refinement, to clarify some refinement um, in terms of the language that we feel God has given us to articulate what he's spoken over our church um, the language hasn't changed, but we do, th- well, it has changed, but we should say the vision hasn't changed. It's just gotten clearer is what we mean, mean to say by that. We're not taking a right turn or a left turn. We think we're going further down the road into what God has called us to with some of this language. So that's the first thing is refinement. It only took us five years to get here and to really figure out what's going on. And we said last week, like, that's actually the best way to really have clear eyes for vision is not so much, you know, when you start a church, we said this last last week, there's so much pressure to have it all figured out, you know. We're here. We're starting a new church. It's like, who's starting the new church? These these people. Do they know what they're doing? They're gonna act like it. They are certainly gonna act like it. And one of the ways we do that is we have these like placeholder, you know, statements that we say about who we're called to be and and uh, what we're what this is all about. And there's definitely been some central stuff that hasn't changed, uh, but it's really taken time to look around and go, okay, five um, really four and a half years of our church here in Boca. And it's kind of cool now because instead of being like, what is God going to do? We now are like able to look around and be like, what has God done? What is he doing? What is he up to? And how can we join him in that and figure out what that is? Okay. And so refinement and then also alignment. That's the second part of this. We, we want our church to be aligned. We, we want to be aligned together of one heart, understanding what God's doing so that we can be a part of that. All right? And so, little vision interlude. And so, we're doing two weeks on our mission here this morning. We'll be part two looking at our mission. And then, next week and the week after, we're going to do two weeks on our pillars. And I'm going to set that up as well. We'll, we'll get there. Um, this morning, as I said, is part two. Of our mission. Let's go back one week. Last week, we looked at the mission of Solus Church, our community, and uh, this is our mission statement. And it's to be a Jesus centered church that makes Jesus centered disciples. Now, you'll hear this phrase a lot, and uh, I'm sure you've caught on by now. This whole Jesus centeredness thing, Jesus at the center, even our name, Solus Christus, Christ alone. We're really all in on this stuff here. Uh, and, and it's not just for the sake of a mantra. We really believe that Jesus at the center is best case scenario for everyone and everything. Everything, listen to this closely and think about your own life. Everything flourishes when Jesus is at the center. And we could say, conversely, everything goes wrong and breaks down when he's not. Amen? I mean, know this to be true in your life. Like when you have a Jesus-centered life, things flourish. When other things creep in there and Jesus gets removed and we become at the center or other things or people, everything sort of falls apart. In fact, this is exactly what you see as, as sort of the main story of the Bible. Like God created humanity to function with God at their center and from that place to flourish in life. And the fall of man, what's wrong with humanity is really that we've removed God from that place. Jesus, what is this whole Christian thing about? Jesus is all about helping you get back to center, recentering you back in relationship with your creator. He went to the cross for that to happen and leading you into a life that has him at the center. And that's where he promises abundant life. And so this is also going to be true of the church. Jesus wants to produce this in, and let me emphasize this, in his church. Okay? This is his church, the church of Jesus. That was all last week. It was almost like a uh, a full-on study of what the church is. And in its very essence, what we need to understand is church is not a program. It's not a personality. It's not a place. It could involve some of those things, nor is it a product. But church, in Scripture, is more of a community of people. Which is good news for us, because if it was a place, we wouldn't be really nailing it. We're here in a middle school, you know? It's like, where's the church? It's over there in that cafeteria. All right, good for them, you know? But church isn't a place. Church is a people. And so wherever the church is, there's church. Um, we, we understood it this way. We, we said that the church is the redeemed family of God who forever belongs to Jesus. The redeemed family. That's the idea. Jesus has purchased the church with his own blood. Through the gospel, through your salvation, you are now a part of the church, universal. And then we're called to function in the church, local. And, and the way that that's supposed to happen, this is our passion, like the way that this is supposed to happen, church is supposed to be this community of people who are together centered around Jesus, together, okay? Let me give you some alternatives, what, what, we, what we can't be. So first, we can't be as a church personality centered. We're not centered around one person or one ministry or one pastor or one preacher. That's where church can often go wrong. We get centered. Everything is centered around the personality. Have you been to that church? Have you seen them teach? It's so so entertaining, right? That's kind of the mindset. We can't be personality-centered. We also can't be consumer-centered, keeping the customer happy, catering to the crowds to keep butts in seats, and bucks in the account. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just, by the way, we're going for it today, okay? We're not going to be consumer-centered, okay? You and I are not at the center of Jesus' church. It's okay to have desires and be a part of a community where we communicate those, but we're not a community or a consumer-centered community. Um, we can't be competition-centered. Are we growing as fast as that church? What's the bigger? are we the biggest church? Are we the biggest small church in Boca? Competition-centered, okay? We, we can't even be, listen, the danger of becoming culture-centered, where we, we want to be in the world and not of it. We want to be in it. We want to represent it. We speak the language of the culture. We wear the golf polos of the culture. We, we in every way, become all things to all men without placing culture at the center of the church. And that's another tendency we have. You go to church, and it's just a culture-centered production. And so we've got to be careful. The goal here is we must be Jesus-centered. And that was, I just gave you kind of the cliff notes of last week. But uh, notice the order here, though. There's something in our mission that we must be, and that's going to inform what we do. And this is a principle in the Bible. Uh, Identity precedes activity identity precedes activity. When I know who I am, it's going to inform what I'm going to be about, what I'm going to do. A lot of the broken patterns of activity in your my life, if we could be honest and take a, a deeper look at some of the things that we do, you could trace a lot of your activity back to maybe a broken identity. Well, this is who I am. An understanding of yourself that informs how you behave. Does that make sense? Identity proceeds, and it even fuels and informs activity. Well, the same is true of the church. How we un- so that's why we spent a whole week on this. How we understand ourselves as the church is going to inform what we're doing here, what on earth we're doing here. And so uh, as a Jesus-centered church, we see that thing that flows out of it. We want to make Jesus-centered disciples, and that's what we just read about here in our scripture reading. That's the second part of that. Um, One of the most practical ways that we as a church can be Jesus-centered is to be about and to center our whole thing here around what Jesus has called us to do, right? It's a novel idea. Let's center ourselves around what Jesus has primarily given us as a task to do. And as we saw there in the passage there, it's to make Jesus-centered disciples. We just read it. What an incredible moment. Matthew 28, Francesca just read that to us. Jesus has resurrected. In a a few short days, he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. This is some of the most incredible moments that the disciples will ever have with Jesus. Post-death and resurrection Jesus. He's doing Bible studies with them, explaining how all of the scriptures point to him. He's opening their understanding to the deep things of God. I mean, talk about a Bible study. Hanging out with resurrected Jesus, getting taught the word by him. That's pretty fun, okay? Now, as a culmination of these moments, Jesus is now going to send out his disciples. We see it there in the word go. This is really beautiful. Jesus is the sent one, and now Jesus is the sending one. Jesus is the one who the Father sent into the world to take on your and my sin, to redeem us back to God. Jesus was sent, and this is what he tells his disciples in the Gospel of John, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, what? I also send you. This is so central to the missionary heart of God. This is what God is like. God is not some bored and boring being off somewhere in the universe who set this whole thing into motion and kind of went on his own vacation. And he'll come back eventually, all right? Um, As Al Pacino called him, the absentee landlord. Al Pacino, that's not correct, okay? Al, all right, don't get your theology from Al Pacino, point one. (laughs) Anyway, the, the God of the universe is a missionary, active, focused, and diligent God who's at work in the world, who sends his son Jesus. Jesus sends the church only after he sends the Holy Spirit. We see the sent one Jesus is the sending one. He's telling the disciples, Go, all right? So, so here, what an incredible moment. Jesus' disciples, um, there's 11 of them, okay? That's a whole another story this guy Judas. It really didn't work out well for him. That's a whole other sermon, okay? But you have the 11 disciples. And I love how, how honest the scriptures are. They're there worshiping Jesus, but some were doubting. Did you see that part? Like, I thought church was filled with a bunch of worshipers that have all faith and no problems. It's like, no. The, the core church plant team of Jesus' church are worshiping, and they're, they're also like, did I really just see Jesus? Am I, am I going crazy? Ah, you're good, Lord, yeah. Is he real? Are you, do you hear me? I mean, this is what's going on. They're worshiping, and what's so beautiful is even in their doubt, they're worshiping. They're stepping out in faith. And, and so you have this just um, incredible... Bunch of guys. This is, again, like I said, this is the first church plant team. This is the first core church planning team. And Jesus has these church planners. And do you remember earlier in Matthew 16, this is what we looked at last week, Jesus said, he's like, hey, I'm, one of the things I'm going to do here is I'm going to build my church. I'm going to give my life for the, for, to, to in, as an offering for the sins of humanity, to save humanity. And as humanity becomes saved, I'm going to build my own assembly of people, my own community. My own church. I'm going to build my church. And now he's sending the disciples to be about that project. He's sending them, go therefore, and here's the task that he gives them. There is one central verb in this section of scripture that every other verb and directive actually exists to support. That's the big idea. I'm, I'm not um, a good source for anything grammar related, Okay. But I know that. I learned that because I, re- I can read. I read it. Okay? And when I read about this, that's what was really interesting. The cent- there's one central verb, and all the other verbs exist to kind of hold it up. And that central verb is go, therefore, and there's one thing, make disciples. It's like Jesus knew how, how much we would complicate the church thing. Do you know what I mean? He's like, let's just do one verb. Okay? One verb is so that you could always come back to center. Um, There's one central task. Go and make disciples of even Boca Raton, of all the nations. I love that Jesus here, what he's saying about the church, first and foremost, is that the ministry and mission of the church is is centered around people. It's people ministry. It's not program ministry. It's not build a bigger box ministry. The kingdom of God is found in even one person that Jesus leaves the 99-4 to reach. It's the ministry of people. This is this is what God's heart beats for. The worst thing that we could do with Jesus's church is make it all about these religious things and religious activities, and not people. People are who Jesus died for. People are who who, who Jesus is seeking to save in this world. The mission and the ministry is about reaching people. It's really beautiful. Now, here's the phrase again, make disciples, right? He's talking to his disciples. He's like, you know, the whole thing where you followed me and you were developed and okay, now you go do that. Go make disciples. Now, the phrase or the verb make disciples is one of the, the, the most maybe overused yet underdefined Christian things in the church. What are you guys doing? We're just out here making disciples. What does that mean? I'm just doing it, you know? What does that mean, right? We're making disciples. We got a bunch of Christian bros together. We played golf. What, what, why? Making disciples, bro. What do you think, okay? By the way, that's true, all right? Making this, just this phrase, right? Making disciples, and it just kind of becomes a placeholder for all things church. Oh, we're making disciples. But Jesus gives us more than that. He gives us these supporting instructions uh, which help us understand what that means. So even when I say, like, hey, welcome to Solus, I mean, because I'm guilty of this. Here we are at Solus. Our mission is to be a Jesus-centered church that makes Jesus-centered disciples. Okay, what does that even mean, right? What does that actually look like? Well, uh, here's what we believe. We believe that if you were to take this commission, this mission that Jesus gave our church, because that's also what we're saying here. It's not like we're so smart that we came up with a mission for the church took us five years and we thought it out. Really what we're saying is it, is it took us five years to simplify everything we're doing to be centered around the one thing that we're called to do. Does that make sense? So we're not saying, and, and one author said it this way, that Jesus' church doesn't even have a mission. Jesus' mission has a church. I love that. It's not like we're like, what's our mission? It's like, no, what's his mission? How do we join him? Okay? And, and as we've kind of looked at this and, and thought about this and prayed about this, um, what we would do with this directive, Make Disciples, this phrase that we use, is we would distill this mandate down, we would say, into three ministry directives, okay? So here we are, we're Souls Church, we're four and a half years into this, but even as we launched out to follow God and, and the call he put on us to start this thing, and as we continue to pursue him as a community here in Boca. We believe that our call to make disciples, it's going to involve three specific things. This is what it involved in um, the early church, and this is what has been involved in our story as well. So three ministries that we're all called to as followers of Jesus. Let's start with the, the first and maybe the more obvious one. The first we'll call is like a ministry of reaching. This is where it starts, right? You don't go into all the world and make disciples of someone who's not a follower of Jesus. That just doesn't work. In fact, that was one of my biggest qualms I feel like doing youth ministry is we're teaching like Christian practice stuff to people who aren't Christians. And this was something I was very passionate about as a high school pastor is like my job as a high school pastor is not to make little, you know, morally good, special little children that you could put a bow on and say, go off to college and don't mess up too bad, you know? It's like, that's not the goal. Jesus doesn't say go into all the world and modify behaviors of all nations, Get them to behave this way. No, 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 no. No, no, The first part of the directive, go into all the world and make disciples, there's the first supporting verb is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the first supporting verb to make disciples. The first ministry directive is baptizing. But we know that that shouldn't take on the form of Nacho Libre. When Nacho says, I'm concerned about your salvation and stuff. You know that part? And he baptizes his wrestle teammate. What's his name? I don't remember his name. You probably do. You don't have to tell me, okay? But it's a moment where he, he's, okay, baptized. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Go into all the world and Nacho Libre people. He's not saying to do that, okay? Baptism in Scripture... Is a public declaration before God and man of an inward transformation in reality, of a spiritual reality. It's a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. Okay, what, um, there's some doctrine in, the, in church history that teaches that baptism um, is some kind of means of grace. That through baptism you actually can receive salvation. And we believe strongly that the Bible teaches that that is, is a falsehood, that's not true. There's one means of grace, and it's the blood that flows from Calvary. It's the cross of Jesus. It's why Jesus could say to the thief on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise, despite not having the external rite of baptism. Now, I still have no problem calling baptism a sacrament. Some people have overreacted, been like, it's not sacred and holy, it's just a command. But there is something really richly holy about baptism it's not a means of grace but it is an evidence of grace who do you baptize now the word let's back up a little bit the word baptism or baptize it it always in the every time it's used in the new testament the greek word is that of submerging someone under the water and then bringing them up out of the water it's a symbol of death and resurrection old life is gone behold all things have become new It's the celebration of new life in Christ. Does that that make sense? Now, who do you baptize? Well, according to Acts 2, you baptize someone who has professed faith in Christ. Who's professed, professed faith in Christ. The Bible says that baptism is a pledge of a good conscience towards God. So I'm baptized to associate with his death. He died for me to save me from my sins. And I come up out of the water, symbolizing the fact that I have new life in him. It's a powerful thing to be a part of. Um, I'm praying, God, can we baptize some more people? What a joy to be a part of that, to see people baptized. But that's the idea, right? Like, if you're baptizing someone, the implication here is you have first done the ministry of reaching them. That's where this starts. Uh, Now, the reason why this is so important is is the Bible emphasizes this. In fact, um, there's a great book in the Bible. It's called The Gospel of Mark. I would recommend you check it out sometime. And in the Gospel of Mark, we're studying that on Sundays, so that was a sarcastic joke. Okay, in the Gospel of Mark at the end, here's Mark's version of the Great Commission. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So this is step one. Uh, we're going to talk about in the weeks to come, by the way, that the gospel is also for Christians. We're going to talk about that. But at least here, the first element of making disciples involves reaching people with the good news of the gospel. This is amazing to think about, okay? God's heart is to seek and to save the lost. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And he looks at you and me as the vessels of that mission. Would you think to do that? I wouldn't. I'd be like, God, do it some other way. But this is how God works. This is how, you you and I are Christians today because of this method. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit in these broken vessels who have been saved. He sends us out as his missionaries. Did you know that a missionary isn't someone that accepts a call to go to a foreign country? What's a missionary? Someone who goes in the name of Jesus. In fact, even the word go, the, the translation, have you heard this before? It doesn't necessarily mean relocate. It means as you go about your life, live as someone who's been sent To reach people through the gospel. That's the idea. So when we're planning a church in Boca, we were always like this. We're like, you know, we don't want to be another. The goal isn't just be another church on the buffet line for Christians. Eternity is too long for church to just be about how do we keep making Christians happy. There's lost people to reach. There's lost neighbors that need the love of God. That need to know who, who he is. And so you have the ministry of reaching. And notice again, it's the ministry of the gospel. So this is really helpful for us because you think about how we're the ones called to do this, but let me remind you, the hope of someone being reached through you is not you. Amen? It's never been you. It'll never be you. Okay? The hope of you being reached wasn't, wasn't you. The bridge between our lost family members, co-workers, colleagues our neighbors the bridge is the gospel of jesus that's the bridge the work of christ for them the work of the holy spirit to apply that work to them uh, it's not us it's not let me let me kind of emphasize some things here the bridge is not our good works now would it help the message of the gospel if christians maintained good works the answer to that is yes that's not a trick question okay that would help would it hurt the message of the gospel that we're preaching if we were perpetuating we'll say bad works of course that's why the bible encourages good works but people aren't saved through our good works do we know that you like you need to be the best friend that you can be to that person but it's not your friendship that's going to save them our good works don't save people our good advice doesn't save people that's not how they reach for Christ. that's not how they reach for eternity Hey, I got some good advice for you. People need more than good advice about how to navigate their lives. They need something deeper that speaks to the deepest issue of humanity, which is a broken relationship with God, which is what the gospel speaks to primarily. The good news of the gospel is the good news of what God has done to reconcile you back to himself through his son Jesus. The separation was because of your and my sin, But the union is possible because Jesus took our sin on the cross. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him, through trusting in Christ to be our Savior and not ourselves. This is the hope of salvation. This is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. (laughs) I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation Uh, To salvation for everyone who believes. For everyone. That's the power of salvation. It's not your good works. It's not our good advice. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. Um, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I believe in its power to save. Wow. How much in our lives, in our mission, how much does our Lack of boldness to proclaim the gospel trace back to our lack of confidence in its power to save. How much would our boldness increase for Christ if we really believed that the gospel is the power of God to save? How much bolder would we believe if we were like, this is how people can be reached? The good news of what God has done in Christ. Jesus is the hope of that. Now. When I think about the time we're in and the ministry of the gospel in our context, and even what you might be thinking about that, you're like, does that mean tomorrow I need to stand up on my desk if I really love my neighbors and scream at them, the good news? I, if I really believe in the gospel, I'll just stand up. I'll lose my job to scream it at everybody. It's like, well, let's, let's take a step back, okay? When I think about the, the task of effectively leading someone to Christ, effectively reaching them, I think of a combination of two key pieces. Um, the gospel, and this is what scripture puts upon us, we're called to present the gospel with right information, truth, which is a, a tough task in and of itself when all truth is relative in our culture, and there's your truth, and there's my truth, and there's his truth, and her truth, and it's like, what, the only truth is that there's no truth. It's like, is that true? Yes. I'm confused. Okay. But it's into this, this time, this, this day and age of postmodernism and moral relativism that we're called to bring right information. First, right information. The gospel is information that informs the heart and mind of a sinner how they can be right with God. The gospel is also right information that informs a life that's empty of how they can be satisfied and fulfilled. It's right information. There are key elements of the gospel, Paul talks about this, that must. That we must get right. So, Paul says there's such a thing as a false gospel. That's one thing. It's got to be the right information. There's false gospels. And the way that we test the true gospel is through the gospel of Scripture. So, there is such a thing as a right gospel, and there is such a thing as a false gospel. Paul's like, you know, and if you actually look at, like, all of Paul's letters, there's a lot of them. They're really great letters. And it's kind of cool, because really what most of the New Testament is is, like, reading someone else's mail for your own spiritual growth, okay? And when you read all Paul's letters, what you have in Paul's letters are, if you could sum up all of his letters to these different churches, it's like Paul trying to help this, these churches come back to the truth of the gospel in some way. Whether it's Corinth that removed the resurrection piece of it, like that's important, okay? Or it's Colossians where the church had, had syncretized Jesus with every other worldview and just kind of blended it together and said, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly a Christian though mostly, okay. There's a right gospel. There's right as in truth. And then let me also say this with right information. There's also right, not just in terms of what's biblical, but, but um, you can preach the right gospel in a way that doesn't consider what's understandable to the person you're speaking to. And you can say, I preached the gospel and it just flew over their head and never connected with their heart. Does that make sense? So right also means understandable. So like if you read the book of Acts, you see this. This is the the task of the church is to get familiar with the culture you're in. Understand the idols. Understand the thought patterns. And when you look at the culture, if you look at Acts, it's like all throughout Acts, you have the apostles. Here's what they're doing. They're, they're, They're preaching the same gospel, but they're presenting the gospel in different ways. Does that make sense? It's the same stake, but there's different plates, okay? Different ways to present the truth that considers where someone's at. So I think a big one, and there's many ways to do this in our culture, but like we were talking about truth, for example. Yelling that something's true at someone in our culture, have you learned this yet? Doesn't work, by the way. Oh, I'm not yelling at you loud enough. If you really believe that I really believe this, then you'll believe it. So let me... You know, all caps now. We're going to go all caps on this gospel presentation. No, like we're working in a culture that Francis Schaeffer said that there's a time coming where most of the work of evangelism is pre-evangelism. You ever heard of this idea? Where it's like, okay, where are you at? I'm here to bring you the truth, but if you don't believe there's truth, we got to deal with that first. You with me? So right information doesn't just scream a gospel at someone, but it involves relationship, like getting to know them where they're at. So much of evangelism today is just like microwave technique. Like, let me just kind of get them, did, you, did they pray the prayer yet? It's like, what? You know, in a lot of ways, what that's created is a Christian mission mindset that sees missions as what the church does when it organizes things. But like, do you think about missions as what God has called you to with your neighbors? Who know you? Who have heard you scream at your kids? Okay, that's you, not me, by the way. Okay, <laughs> um, there's relationship that's built. There's understanding. We look at Paul a lot. He's like going into these towns, preaching the gospel in that culture, and that's a great model. Sometimes God calls people to do that. But when Paul goes into the city and he preaches the gospel, and you have these, you have, you have a church that comes about. That church community stays where they are, right? They don't. All, Paul's not like, let's make the party bigger. We're going to go on a big missionary tour. We're going to end up with eight thousand people on this thing. Let's just keep going from town to town. He's like, no. Missions means be planted where you are, loving the people that are around you, and bringing them the right information as you know it, as the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You know, the, the gospel of Jesus to the person living in shame might look different. Than the gospel of Jesus to the person who's living in mockery of God? And so Jude says that you've got to make a distinction on people. Some people need to be saved with fear. Like, pull them from the fire. Like, you need, you need the bullhorn gospel, okay? Turn or burn. Like, I need to preach the truth. To, bro, I love you enough to be like... And then other people... They need the the gentle and lowly truth of Jesus toward them. I feel like I'm ashamed. It's like a person living in shame, knowing they're a mess, a Christian comes up and goes, you're a sinner! They're like, I know. Do you know what I mean? So, So it's loving that person enough to go, how does the gospel inform your life and situation? Tim Keller says the gospel is like a diamond with multiple facets and faces. There's not a, it's not just a square window you look through. There's multiple ways to look into the, what Paul calls the beauty of the glory of Christ. So we need right information, but right information without a compelling invitation is not evangelism. It's preaching. In the church, there's like, I feel like if I, we look at the church, there's big divisions today in the church. In terms of evangelism, you have two camps usually. One camp is all about the invitation, and the churches are growing. People are, it's, it's actually beautiful, right? It's like people, there's invitation, invitation, invitation. Now, there may be, though, a lack of information. So people are like, I just signed up for God today. It's like, do you know the gospel? No, what's that? But I love this church. It's like, okay, all right, you're here. We need some information there. Faith and repentance matters, right? Knowledge of sin. And so, there, there's, and so what you have today, like in the church, you have, react, you have other churches that react against that, and they're like, oh, you're doing all these altar calls. All these people are coming forward. They don't know what they're signing up for. People use more information today to buy a used car than they do to join a major world religion. You with me? What am I joining? Oh, just a major world religion. Why? Because it felt good. It's like, okay. Could be the Holy Spirit. So, like, but you have these these this other response, people look on and they go, You need the information, so we're gonna be an information church. We're gonna preach the truth. It's like, yeah, no one's come to Christ in our church in 20 years. Why? Because you give information, but you don't offer a compelling invitation. You yell at them. But but there must be in the gospel, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, All things are of God, he's reconciled us to himself through Jesus, and he's given us, you, me, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, bringing them back into relationship with God, not imputing their trespasses to them, the ones they're guilty of. And he has committed to us the word. There's a message of reconciliation. There's a right word. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Notice this, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you see the compelling invitation tied to the information? It's a call to come into relationship with God. It's, it's, it's more than just, here's the truth. It's be reconciled to God. That would be my message to you today. If you're here brought by a friend, I have, first of all, I have good news for you. That good news is despite what you have done to seek independence from God and sin against him, God loves you. He demonstrated his love for you by going to a cross, sending his son Jesus, who went. And on that cross, Jesus, who was without sin, he became sin. He became your sin. He took upon himself your sin. The gap that was between you and God, Jesus became the bridge. He went into the grave, and then he defeated your and my greatest enemy, which is death itself. And he's alive, and he reigns, and he offers you salvation. He offers you eternal life. He's come to bring you back into relationship with God. And here's the invitation. Believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart and trust in Christ. The Bible says, and you will be saved. The, the, the sinner's prayer in the Bible, it's this. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I need your salvation. This is what the gospel invites us into, and this is what Jesus calls us to. Write information with a compelling Invitation. And then one last thing about this. I guess the question for the church is, do our lives offer a compelling invitation to Jesus? We can get all the things right and still not be salt and light. Do you know what I mean? Do, our li- do people look on at us and they're like, I know what the, like generally the culture knows that, that there's some Christian, the Christian message is somewhat known in our culture. Like Mel Gibson made a whole movie about it. Do you know what I'm saying? The gospel has some knowledge in our culture. But with the compelling truth of the gospel, are there people's transformed lives on display in in our culture here, in our church, that make people go, okay, I hear that, but I want that. I want that. I want what they have. They're salt. They're making me thirsty for something. They're making me hunger for what they have, a compelling invitation. So you have the ministry of reaching. The next is what we'll call the ministry of gathering. The ministry of reaching is the work of the gospel with right information, a compelling invitation to bring someone into faith in Jesus. And baptism is the physical representation of the spiritual salvation. But there's another key part to this that we need to recognize, and, and after already kind of like beating the drum of evangelism, uh, it's important to remember that the Great Commission, notice this again, is not, go therefore, this is really important, follow me here, Jesus doesn't say to the church, here's the job of the church, go therefore and make converts of all the nations. And once you've made a convert, move on, <laughs> Right? Um, Jesus actually told a parable about this. It's called the parable of the sower. You ever read this? Mark 4? And he says there's a danger, like, if, if the mindset is just preach the gospel and see someone receive it and come to faith in Christ, and, like, if it ends there, if the work of evangelism doesn't gather that person into some kind of worshiping community or network of discipleship, Jesus says it's it's prone to be a work in futility because Inasmuch as you're sowing the word, there are spiritual realities and physical realities in life that are seeking to remove that word that is sown. There's different soils. I mean, we face this in our own lives, don't we? It's like God speaks something to me, but in terms of it actually bearing fruit in my life, and we could say in the form of salvation, maybe there's the, the, the seed is planted of the gospel, but for that to bear fruit in salvation... There's got to be more than just, like, a quick prayer. There's a danger there. There's a danger in just simply leading people into conversion. Jesus is like, no, the goal is disciples. Disciples. It's where salvation starts to take shape. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many students I've led to pray the sinner's prayer. And, and we're not God. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, like, some Christians need to back off. Like, you're not the author of salvation, Okay. You're not the one that says if if they belong to God or not. The Lord knows those who are his. But the commission of the church is to lead people to know for themselves. And there's danger in misleading people to be false assured of a salvation that's actually not there. The mission of the church is not just make converts, go plant some seeds. It's recognize that we are in a spiritual battle and with the, with the, with the, the strong moving of, uh, force of the church, there's also a force of darkness. And that seed that gets sown in someone's heart, the second it's sown, the enemy is looking to remove it. The second that God starts to work, even in your heart today, the Holy Spirit begins to call you and say, you belong to God. Receive the grace of Jesus. Give your life to him. And then all of a sudden, there's counter voices, aren't there? Uh, yeah, but what about what I want? You see, there's a spiritual battle. And so the church is called to do so much more than just make disciples. The church itself is to be this community that those who receive Jesus are plugged into. In fact, when you, when you look in the New Testament, and we'll see it in Acts, it's almost like the second implication of baptism. Okay, Baptism is a personal thing between you and God, but baptism is also a corporate activity. Do we know this? Like, you don't, you don't baptize yourself, okay? You don't Nacho Libre, people, okay? And you don't baptize yourself. I, I'll, I'll share it. I, years ago, had a student. Watch how tactful this is going to be. I had a student who was misled. She was pat, like heart on fire for Jesus. She was like, and we had a baptism coming up at the church. And someone misled her and told her, why are you waiting? This was 10 o'clock at night after youth group. And they said, run down to Palmetto right now and baptize yourself. The Lord's waiting. Like that's other the language they use. And I found out after that, she did it. She went down. Now, I hate to say it. That wasn't baptize, baptism. That was uh, swimming. She was later baptized. It was beautiful. Church people are crazy, guys. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Holy cow. Was it something special between you and Jesus? Yeah, go for that. Was it baptism? Not quite. Okay. Now, and I'm not, and I might, I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek to say the emphasis in Scripture on baptism is not just a private event between you and God. It's a corporate, it's something beautiful. It's why we've been working with the school as much as we can that has really, you know, long red tape about how we can do baptisms actually here with the whole body present and not just with like five of you at the beach next to someone's big rainbow cabana. You know, it's also beautiful. It's also beautiful. People see it. They're like, life change. I want that. That's, it's amazing. But like what I love this picture in Acts, look at Acts. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So Acts 2, Peter preaches a gospel. It was the right information. It was truth, and it was relevant to the culture. It was exactly the gospel this culture needed to hear. And you know it's effective because it didn't just come to their minds. It cut to their hearts. That's effective evangelism. It cuts to the heart. And then they go, We want to be saved. What do we need to do? So the idea is they believed it. Now what do we need to do? So Peter gives them an invitation. Be saved. Be saved from this perverse generation, then those who gladly received his word, that's a good place to start, notice this, they were baptized. And notice how this is almost connected to their, their membership within the family of God. The, the next verse is, and that day, about 3,000 souls who were baptized were added to them. Do we see this? There's a corporate aspect to this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. What's going on here, which goes back to what Jesus told them to do, is an expression of God's heart for people. God wants to reconcile people to himself, but he also wants to put the lonely in families. The shepherd brings, uh, goes after the lost sheep to bring them into the flock, right? Like This is because God knows that there's no such thing as Christian life, let alone human life, that's done in isolation. You're vulnerable to spiritual attack, and you're less human when you do life alone. You're less than who God made you to be. This is the model for the church. People get saved, but then they get baptized, and the the idea is it's a gathering ministry. Don't just pray this prayer. Come be a part of the family of God. Be a functioning member of a local church. In the very beginning of time, the first human problem, God creates man, and he says... It is not good for man. Adam, the word Adam means human. It's not good for human to be alone. Now, was Adam alone when God said this? No. Who was he with? Someone said, gorillas. No. Adam was with God. God says human plus God equals alone. We're not meant to walk alone, guys. It's the beauty of the church, amen? We're brought to our great shepherd and we're brought into a family. It puts us in a family. The family of God is the context of discipleship where we grow, where salvation becomes fully realized. Like, people ask me, I don't know if you've been asked this question, like, when were you born again? Like, when were you saved? And I'm just like, I don't know. I guess the reformed part of me says before the foundations of the earth, you know? I mean... okay. Um. I know Jesus saved me through his church, he saved my life. I remember praying prayers to receive Jesus into my heart, but and, and, and if we're honest about this, I think we would all agree. The up and down ebb, ebb and flow of my spirituality and relationship with God is directly correlated to my engagement in community. My best seasons spiritually were my most, my most active seasons in community. <laughs> my weakest seasons spiritually were often when I started, when I was kind of dating the church, you know, and showing up when I could, and, and just, or just showing up. And maybe that was it. So what you see in scripture is a model that the ministry of the church is not just to get people to pray a prayer, but it's to get them to function, listen, to function as the members that they are. So this is what we would call our philosophy of membership at Soulless Church. Okay. I, I got to talk about this because I said in the Instagram post, we're going to talk about church membership today. Okay. Maybe nobody saw that. That's, that'd be great. But anyway. Um, first of all, in terms of the word member, okay, um, we're not afraid to use words that the Bible does. Don't, you, don't use that word member. This is a biblical word. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, Now therefore you and I speak into a local church. You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. And members, key word there, members of the household of God. We're family members. And it's in that that membership, that family membership, that we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Okay, what, what I don't mean by membership is LA Fitness. I don't mean that, okay? I don't mean, hey, how can we control people, Okay? oh, they're not giving it? Make them a member. Okay, no, it's not what we mean. And there's a reason why there's a lot of hesitancy around the idea of church membership because of how much abuse there has been done in the name of church membership. I get that, I get that. But we're still not gonna be afraid of a word the Bible uses. We're gonna embrace its biblical intention. The language of membership in scripture has more to do with a function rather than a formality. Has more to do with a function rather than a formality. Meaning the idea in Scripture is this. Every Christian, every single one who is saved in the eyes of God, whether you like it or not, you are a member of the body of Christ. You are a member of the family of God. You're a member of the household, even locally. The question in Christ isn't if you're a member, it's are you functioning as a healthy one? Are you functioning as God intends you to? Is your relationship to the church according to the will of God. And so for us as a church, we feel like this. We've been praying on this and working on this, and I don't know how this is going to take shape in the future. Um, I, I know for now, for us, we believe that functional membership, like a Christian who is a healthy member of a local family or body, they're going to represent, um, we believe, these, uh, it's these three components. So membership involves, first, a prayerful commitment, Okay. He used the C word in church today, okay? It's one of those Christian curse words, commitment, submission. Ooh, they just just have that like, oh, okay? Grape lady, noise comes out, you know? Um, What's he talking about? Don't worry about it, okay? (laughs) So stupid. Uh, (laughs) Prayerful commitment is the first part. Um, Commitment's a hard thing for our culture, because we always like to keep our options open. We don't want to be tied down because something better comes along. Okay, Now, that may be true of culture, but commitment is central to the kingdom. Commitment is central to what it means to be a child of God in marriage and in the church as well. Prayerful commitment. Scripture talks about th- this need. Like, I, and here, Here's how I would say it. Um, every Christian, I believe this, should be able to say, you should be able to say this, this is my church. This is my family. These are my leaders. This is where God has called me to serve him and grow in my knowledge of him. You with me? There's a sense of, of commitment, but I want to say this. Um, the question isn't if, but where, right? And this is what our Welcome to Solus class is designed to do. We, our goal is not more members. It's people that God has called to our church. We, want, we were concerned first, are you members of the family of God? And then we lead people to be members of the local family of God here at Solus, um, let, let me say this to you. Don't commit to a local church for any other reason than sensing that God has called you to do so. That, that should be the, the barometer. God leads you. There's certain tests. There's certainly healthy parts of this. But there's a prayerful piece to this, to where it's not your idea, it's his idea. So prayerful commitment is the first step. The second thing is pers- purposefully connect. There, there's got to be in your heart, like I'm a member, but it's like, well, do, do people know you and are you known? And the goal of this is like you're connected enough to where you've moved into the realm of relationship. What the church is, let me back up, okay. The church is meant to be a big community of messiness where we're all just seeking Jesus and we're centered around him and we're allowing his grace to transform us. That's what this is to be about. What church often is, is a show where like Naaman, we hide our leprosy. We hide our sin. We hide our messiness. We hide our brokenness. Community, we love community. I just want some community. Do you know what that means? That means people see your ugliness. We're going to talk about this more next week. We're going to talk about authentic community. It means that we know each other in a deep level. Now, that quality kind of relationship, it's going to come through a sense of, like, you showing up. Literally, my point here is come to church more. Point seven. Point seven. Come to church more, okay? To, to be present in community. To believe that it's not good for you to be alone. To show up on Sunday. To show up in a community group. To connect. To walk with the family with. And then lastly would be to contribute. Like, I, I'm, I'm not just here to consume. I'm here also to contribute. I'm, I'm, I'm here to sow into what God is doing with my time, talent, and treasure. I am a, mem- I'm a, I'm a contributing member of the family of God. And there's many ways that this can kind of flow out. But, but this, is, this is what we see. There's a ministry of gathering. We started with the ministry of reaching. Let's go in order and we'll, we'll close out here. The ministry of reaching is someone is brought to faith in Jesus through the gospel with right information a compelling invitation. This is what the church exists to do. Then there's a ministry of gathering where they are brought into functional membership with the church of God. It's not just evangelistic crusades. It's who are those people, where are they at, and how can we walk with them so, they, so that they don't do life alone. And so that they find, they find their place in God's story. They find their place as a member of the body of Christ in the local church. And then lastly is the ministry of developing. It's in the context of the church that, Paul, uh, that Jesus says to the disciples... Baptized, people are brought in, now there's a community, and here's what Jesus says about developing people. This is what should be happening in the church. He says, Teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. So someone is saved, they're brought in, and now they begin a lifelong journey called discipleship. So so there's preaching and then there's teaching. This was Paul's uh, ministry mindset. Paul says, Let's skip down to here. Paul says, Him we preach. We preach Christ, warning every man, and and also, notice this, and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Paul's like, this is what I'm working towards. The ministry involves the ministry of the gospel, but it also involves the ministry of training, teaching, and development. The church doesn't exist to simply be a show where there's an all-star that does Bible slam dunks, and then we leave. The church is a, is a developing community following Jesus. And the task of the church is, is to bring people in where they are, and by the power of the Spirit, to bring people further in their relationship with Jesus. That's what's to happen. There's a developmental part of this. There's preaching, and then there's teaching. I want you to notice this, though. This is really important. It's not just preaching, it's teaching. But it's not just teaching. Teaching. That would be easy. Like, if the task was, teach them all the things that Jesus said. It's like, done. I just did that today, actually. I can go to sleep now, okay? Or go play golf. But the task isn't teach them what Jesus said. Look at the, you're a Christian. Look at the mission we've been given, which seems impossible. Teach them, the word there is actually obey, to do the things that Jesus said. How many of you guys, if you have kids, you know this is a big difference between telling them what to do, teaching them what they should do, and the job of parenting is okay, how do I get you to observe the thing I told you to do? Okay? There is a universe apart from those two realities. And in the church as well. The job of the our entire systems need to be set up for more than just dispensing information to people. We, We need the ministry of the word. But if that's where things end, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. The local church exists not just for education, but for development. The true test of the maturity of a church is not how much do they know, but how much do they do. How much do they actually practice the way of Jesus? Some of us are so filled with knowledge that we can't learn anything new. But as the younger brother of James says, are we just hearers only? Are we growing? That's what this is all about. Don't just reach a disciple, don't just gather a disciple, but do all that for the, for the purpose of developing them. And here's the hang up for you right now. You go, oh, that's the thing. I was a disciple, but now I'm, you know, I've been walking with Jesus 30 years, and so I've graduated. So the commission is for them. And this is where, like, we have to get our thinking about Jesus' teachings that have been more caught rather than studied in Scripture. We kind of have to test them and go, okay, now there is a kind of discipleship that involves a new Christian that you're nourishing and mentoring them to grow. That's certainly true. But show me the verse in the Bible that says that you stop growing. That, That you achieve max learning potential. When we say that we're disciples, what we're saying is we're lifelong learners. We're always needing to grow. There's always more development that God's wanting to do. And that, that's listen, that's why we're here. That's why we gather. This is our mission, to reach people, to bring them into the family of God. Baptism is a great display of that. And, and then we gather here on Sunday. We get, we're going to next week share about all these different groups we're going to gather in. We gather in community to grow. To, to be developed. There's justification and then there's sanctification where God is conforming me to the image of his son through the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, next week, we're going to look at, um, the bank can come up to close this out. Next week, we're going to look at the first three of what we call our six pillars. So our, our pillars identify the marks of maturity. Like, what we're, like how are we trying to grow? Does that make sense? It's one thing to be like, grow spiritually. It's like, well, what does that even mean? Okay? And so for us as a community, we have prayerfully um, gone through about 12 different lists, started with 10, went down to four, we're back to six, okay? Let's just go with this for now, okay? These six pillars, for us, they represent, these are biblical distinctives for us that we want first to be modeled in our ministry. Like, we want people somewhere to ask you, like, what, tell me about your church solace, what's it like? Give me some of the main things about it. Like, without seeing this list, the hope is that you list some of these things. So we want it to be models in our church, but for the goal of reproducing it in our community. We want these to be true. Of, like, if you're a part of Sola's Church, this is what God is up to in your life. This is where he's called you. This is how he's developing you and I. He, he wants to develop us in gospel centrality, that we, we don't leave the gospel at the starting line of our Christian faith, but it stays at the very center of our walk with him. We keep believing the good news of the gospel. We want to be those that are, that are represented by biblical authority. We live submitted to the truth of Scripture, as hard as that becomes in culture. We allow its instruction to shape our lives. We are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Our Trinity is not Father, Son, Holy Bible. We have a relationship with the living God through the power of His Holy Spirit. and I mean, this is growth. Our lives are marked by being sensitive to Him. He speaks to us. He leads us. We're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with his fruits and gifts and ministry. We want to be those marked by formational Christianity. We are practicing the way of Jesus and being transformed as we do. We're all in on this thing, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. We're followers of Jesus who have adopted his way of life. We're, We're people, this is huge, As much as you know, here's a question. Are you in authentic community? Do people know you authentically? Do you have church relationships or do you have authentic relationships? This is where we want to grow. And lastly, kingdom ministry. Is your life being leveraged for a greater cause, a higher purpose? This is what God wants to produce for the next two weeks. We're going to look at each set of three. We'll do these next week and those the week following. But I wanted to end with this question this morning. As we look at the Great Commission, we just go back to this. What an incredible thing that Jesus, I mean, like holy cow. As Kyle prayed, like 2,000 years ago, Jesus sent the disciples with this task. How do we know that this was really true, that Jesus said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth? The way that we know is that we're following Jesus today because of this event right here. This is his will being done on earth. His, His kingdom is advanced through this mission. I want you to ask yourself this question as a reflective moment here. How and where, this morning, how and where can God's mission become more fulfilled in your life? As you come in here today, maybe you're like, I think the ministry of reaching needs to be fulfilled in my life. I've known about God. I've even been raised in church, but he doesn't have me. I might have him, but he doesn't have me. God, let your will be done in my life and save me. Take my life. Rescue me from my sin. Set me with the hope of eternity before my eyes. Change me. Take my life. Maybe for you, it's, it's that ministry of gathering. Maybe you go, God, let your will be done in my life to the point that I'm gonna stop dating the church and I'm gonna prayerfully, prayerfully commit where you have called me to go. Not where any pastor wants me to be Not even where, where my heart, like help me be led by you and help me commit, God. Help me be a part of your church. Let your will be done in my life. Here's your will for me, God. You don't want me to walk alone and maybe that for you is the step. Or lastly, maybe it's, maybe it's you have stopped developing. You've kind of put spiritual growth on hold while you get to other things. And and you're more kind of living a season of life where there's not a dynamic power of the spirit. There's just like a bunch of knowledge. And maybe today you just go, Jesus, I'm just reminding myself that you saved me. And before anything now, I'm your disciple. I'm following you. Thank you that you knew how messy I would be. Thank you, Thank you, Jesus, that you knew how long this would take before you committed to me. I just give my life back to you and I say, Jesus, grow me. Amen.